0: Hello podcast fans, welcome to another episode of the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. A couple of reminders for you. First, join our friend Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow along on social media at Competitive Pod, And if you haven't already, please check out teachhoops.com slash 816basketball for incredible coaching resources from Coach Steve Collins. If you haven't checked it out, we highly recommend it. Again, teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. And our boy Takuma Letzum is still taking donations on his GoFundMe page. The best way to get there is on our Twitter page, at 816basketball. There is a pinned tweet there with more information about his fight against ALS. So again, at 816basketball on Twitter. And lastly, thanks so much for the support over the last year. If you're following along on Twitter, we just crossed our one-year anniversary recently. So thanks so much for all the support of this podcast and enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio.
1: Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here on the Greatest Games Podcast. As always, a chance for us to catch up with college coaches or coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. It can be their time as a high school coach, a college coach maybe even an international basketball coach, Brian, who knows, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest.
0: You're right, Chris. And, you know, we, we are, uh, of course, we mentioned it before, the little podcast that could. We have We have reached into the international waters. We've gone across the border to Canada, but today we really – I mean, we just absolutely hit a home run. We're going to Open Nike New Zealand. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, it's absolutely a pleasure to be on the other side of the world from this gentleman here. But joining us today on the Greatest Games podcast is Coach Angelo Hill. Coach,
2: thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. And of course, we're recording
1: this uh, as we pre-record these. It's like uh, next Tuesday in New Zealand and, uh, <laughs> or whatever i uh, trying to figure out, trying to coordinate times with coach Hill was difficult, but we were able to get it done.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a, a, a very long time difference, but, um, you, you got it right with uh, you, Monday here used, 1230.
1: You're used to it now. You've been over there a long time. So trying to communicate with family back here in the States and stuff, I'm sure you, you, you know, you understand that time difference really
2: well all the time zones are on my phone. And so I just have to go to my world <laughs> clock and say, okay, if I'm talking to somebody on the West coast, what time is it? Or the East coast or, so yeah, I've got my times uh, all logged on the phone and then I know um, what to talk and when to talk. But the problem is, is when we go from daylight savings time uh, out of daylight savings time, cause you guys are coming on the daylight savings time. So it, it becomes a little bit hairy and then, um, <laughs> Trying to watch games is really, really tough because they're at they're at um, all hours of the time. But nice thing about today is everybody's games on YouTube, and you can um, you can watch those games. So I've been lucky to keep track of my son and other players that I've sent over there and watch their games. Awesome.
1: Well, coach, take us briefly and just to kind of hit some of the highlights. Take us through your coaching career and how you got to. Uh... Being retired there now in New Zealand, but just kind of take us through your coaching career and kind of some of your stops along the way.
2: Well, I started off really coaching probably at Washington State University, working at um, Coach Raveling, our summer camps and um, us players had to stay or some of us decided to stay there and work at the camps over the summer because you could play great ball against other uh, collegians after um, the camp was finished for the day. Plus, you got free food, you got free accommodation. So for five or six weeks, you didn't really have to uh, look after yourself. You could just work out, coach at the camp all day, play great games at night and be fed. And so it was a it was a way to introduce yourself into working uh, in the coaching profession. Um, From there, I I played internationally for a long time. And then I decided uh, to come to New Zealand. And uh, one of my teammates that I played with, Clyde Huntley, was down here and also uh, another teammate, Kenny McFadden from Washington State. And so I just stayed down there, uh, decided to come to New Zealand. And then from there, just really started getting into coaching. Uh, Spent a couple of seasons in 89-90 back in Casper, Wyoming, at uh, the junior college there working as an assistant coach. And then back to New Zealand. And was coaching here for a while and playing. And, and from there, I've just been kind of bouncing around through the coaching here in New Zealand. High school, uh, professional men, professional women's, a uh, couple of New Zealand teams. I've had the opportunity to be an assistant coach on the um, under-17 New Zealand team. We got killed by Australia, but it was a great opportunity. Um, also, the women's under-18 team, we went to uh, New Caledonia. We won a gold medal there. Uh, but then we lost to Australia in the um, qualifier for the Worlds. So it's it's just been um, going back and forth, up and down different levels and, and trying to make an impact here in New Zealand.
0: Coach, I'm, a, a um, well, I don't know if I'm officially a world traveler yet, but I know that a lot of our listeners are that love to travel. John Cones being one of them that helped us uh, early on with this podcast. So tell us, first of all, you said, well, I just decided to move to New Zealand. So why New Zealand? And then just for me as a budding uh, world traveler, uh, tell us all about New Zealand and even in the culture of, of OpenAki.
2: Well, New Zealand came to me via, A friend of mine, an ex-teammate, Kenny McFadden, was actually coming through um, school, and I had just had my shoulder operated on. I had left the CBA, the Wyoming Wildcatters, and decided to actually stop playing. Uh, My shoulder was a mess, and so the school uh, fixed my dislocated shoulder, and I was just going to finish school and get into teaching. And Kenny came through, and he was looking for a second import. And so um, the second import situation here is we were allowed to have two imported players at the time. And Kenny was looking for a teammate, but he was actually looking for a, another teammate of mine, which is Ronnie Joyner. And, and for those of you who don't know Ronnie, he's currently in the Junior College Hall of Fame, a tremendous score. Um, and so they couldn't find Ronnie and asked me if I'd come. So I said, yep. Yeah. The, the one thing I was worried about is that they spoke English because I've been traveling to Mexico and South America. And he said, no, they speak English. And I also knew another Washington State player there and his name was Clyde Huntley. So Clyde and Kenny were both down here. So I got in touch with with Clyde and um, he said, "Nah, you're going to love it down here. And, and Clyde and I spent a long t- three or four years of Washington State together. So he said, no, knowing you, you're going to really enjoy it down here. And the league is just getting started in terms of its popularity. Um, and you could probably make a really big difference down here in New Zealand. So I jumped on a plane on April the 14th and, uh, the surgeon told me I'd be able to play, just be careful. And so April the 14th, I jumped on a plane and the next day I was actually playing games in a tournament over in Napier and, uh, I've been here and fell in love with the country. It, was, it seemed like at that time, you'd gone back probably 10 to 15 years in terms of time. The cars, the the culture, the food, everything was just really, really laid back and really very relaxed atmosphere. The people here are just tremendous. I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing country to live in. And so it was kind of like, um, you're in room 13. It was kind of like, I've just found the place where I wanted to live and then being able to travel around New Zealand and actually see the country. It is so gorgeous. I mean, it's just spectacular. And so I just fell in love with the place and, uh, we did really, really well successfully. Um, as a player, I did really well. The league grew and grew and grew. Um, so it was kind of nice to, um, be a part of that. Um, You really don't know the impact you're actually having on a community or on a country. And recently they've just named the top 40. They're in the process of naming the top 40 players to ever play in New Zealand. And I got ranked at 31st. So, you know, years down the track, I guess I did make an impression here in New Zealand. Um, But the country and the people are just, it's just spectacular. It's just amazing. I feel like I'm on a working holiday all the time. That's
1: that's amazing, uh, Coach. Now, uh, Rosefield, he's not the first guy we've had that's played in New Zealand on the podcast. I'm going to go Dude. Carlos Powell, right? Carlos Powell played for the New Zealand Breakers. That was a late uh, one. Yes. In 06, 07, he was a player in South Carolina when we worked there, and Brian hired him as an assistant coach a couple of years ago at his school, and now Carlos is at Wilson High School in South Carolina as a head coach, but he was a very good international player. Coach, i got to ask you, do you do you know how to hock a dance?
2: I can do it. our school haka, it's, quite a, it's part of our um, requirement here at school because the haka is used for various uh, other events, not just for the All Blacks, but uh, um, mm-hmm. for us here at school, we use the haka as a sign of respect and importance of someone at our school. So we have a lot of teachers, you know, that come and go because we're a small rural community And so as a sign of respect, um, we would perform the haka, let's say for a person who's been at our school for 10, 20 years or an acting uh, principal who's been here for four or five years and then they move on. So part of the farewell process is always performing the haka. Uh, We perform hakas for any tangis, which is a funeral. Um, Mm -hmm. If they're very important to our school community, uh, we would perform the haka there as well, so it's not just used by the All Blacks in terms of for their their rugby challenge, but the haka is used in in various other um, events here at our school.
1: Well, Coach, I'm very I'm a history teacher and and a trivia nerd, and and I know the haka actually goes back to the Maori culture, so I don't just yeah. know it from the yeah. New Zealand All Blacks. Brian's right now Googling haka dances because he has no idea. What it <laughs> oh, is. No doubt about. it. I can it. tell
2: you. <laughs> oh, no, it's it's. It's a really, it's a, it's a really sign of respect to someone, mm-hmm. in, in the way we use it. Um, some of the bigger schools here in New Zealand would use the haka um, prior to their rugby events, and maybe even some of their other sporting events at their schools. But our, at our little community, we don't use it very often in, in terms of sporting events.
1: Coach, I do want to ask a basketball question, a New Zealand question. Obviously, you, you grew up here, you played here, uh, you're very well you know, versed in uh, American basketball. What's the difference, or what are some of the, the differences you see in the basketball in New Zealand and in America? And you, and you even told me in the pre-show chat before Brian joined us that your son played high school ball over there in New Zealand, but you sent him over here to play junior college basketball. So what are those differences
2: that you see in the game? I think um, when I first got here, the game was relatively new um, and we didn't have any big name person that had made it in the big time to the NBA. And so the game was relatively new. Uh, Most of us American imports are part of our job was going around and and actually coaching and trying to introduce kids to basketball um, because it was a relatively new sport from that time in the early 80s to now. Basketball is the fastest growing sport in New Zealand. So we have more kids playing basketball here than any other sport. Um, And because of Stephen Adams fame and getting to the NBA, that has really, really helped um, promote basketball in terms of an avenue to get an education and also be able to play in the state. So we've got, I would say, currently a, a guesstimate, I would say, 100 to 200 players playing in America all over the, uh, the various levels. But the main thing that I had trouble with coming here was the amount of practice time. Um, basketball is played in the winter for us. But at the same time, there's seven other codes that a young man can play. And I think there's six that a female can play. And so they're practicing twice a week. They might play rugby on a Saturday and then play basketball on a Sunday or Monday, and they might have rugby practice on Tuesday and Thursday and basketball practice on Mondays and Wednesdays. Uh, The girls are playing netball and basketball and rugby. So they really are not um, specializing in sport like we do in America. And the thing about it here is, is we really push kids to actually play a multitude of sports. We don't want them specializing in one sport too early. Um, because we feel that they get a better, well-rounded set of skills playing different sports. Um, so lately though, and I'd say the last 10 years, the shift has changed because we're getting a lot more kids going to the States and getting that scholarship. And our New Zealand kids, our Kiwi athletes over there right now are just, they're doing really, really exceptionally well. I got... Shalise Walker at my alma-, alma mater and her sister, Crystal, at Washington State. Um, my son has had a fabulous two years at West Plains in um, Missouri, at Missouri um, West Plains. the JUCO there? His improvement, he does not see his improvement, but his improvement is massive. Um, we've got some kids. Uh, I just saw the other day there was six to eight girls playing in a game in region uh, what is that region? I think it's the where College of Southern Idaho is. Is that region 18? So Eastern Utah was playing College of Southern Idaho, and there was six to eight Kiwis on those two teams for females. So our young men and women are really, really doing very well in the states. And I think it's a, the fact that they don't take this opportunity for granted. And I think a lot of American students expect to get a scholarship. And our Kiwis are just so lucky to get a scholarship and they just go over there and they're doing really well academically, socially and basketball wise. So the game is really growing here and kids are now deciding, hey, wait a minute, I just want to specialize in basketball. And and it's we're just getting better and better and better at the game. And then right now, 90 percent of the Pelican games are on television because Stephen's there. It used to be Oklahoma City Thunder. We don't see the Oklahoma City Thunder anymore. So because of Stephen, and then you throw in the breakers' success, the Australian um, NBL's on TV three or four times a night. Um, Our men's and women's leagues are now on TV. Uh, There's a game a week. Once they start, there'll be a game to two games a week on TV for our men and women's leagues. So it's just becoming more and more popular and more visible on the telly. And that's putting more and more people in the gyms to watch and also players to want to, to, to try and do this as a job and as a career.
1: Brian, before you get going, I I just looked up uh, it's 1900 for a flight. We're departing July 9th at (laughs) a New York city. Okay. And we fly into Auckland and it's a five hour drive to Opanaka. Okay. So we got to rent a car. Okay.
2: All right. But so. but you'd have to get you're not New Zealand citizen, so you wouldn't be able to come in at the moment because our borders are closed.
1: Well, we're hoping July. It's we're hoping I got my
2: vaccination card. I'm all <laughs> vaccinated here. Got not, good <laughs> uh, not good enough. Not good enough. My son, my son has not been home for two years. Oh, uh, and my oldest boy, I don't think he's been home for three or four years, but um, Nico just got vaccinated. Oh, two or three days ago. But when he comes home, we've had to first get him a managed isolation spot. So you have to get a managed isolation spot. So when he comes in, he's got to spend 14 days in isolation. So you have to get the managed isolation spot. Then you have to get a flight to match that managed isolation spot. Then you have to have a COVID test three days before you get on that plane. And that has to be negative or else they won't even let you on the plane. And then you're going to do a 14 days isolation um, in in the managed isolation spot. So Nico gets here on May the 13th, but we won't see him until the 27th of May. Wow. And our borders are shut. I mean, they're, they're closed. The only people that can come into the country right now are New Zealanders who hold um, permanent residency or have a New Zealand passport. Wow, that's how we fought COVID. We do not have COVID in this country.
0: That's incredible. And I, I, I know a lot of people. I know Chris knows a lot of people. So maybe we can find somebody that can get us a pass. But never mind. I won't even <laughs> go down that
2: Hopefully, so, hopefully I,
0: one day we'll get over there.
2: I tell you, as soon as the borders open, this country is going to be inundated with people because it's just, <laughs> it is such a beautiful place and our tourism industry is just—it's very massive. we we're, we're we're losing billions of dollars at the moment, um, but the com- the countries decided that's what we were going to do um we're just going to shut our borders and try and keep this COVID out as much as possible
0: well um, hopefully like i said well, hopefully one day soon we'll be over there and, and checking it out and uh because i'm chomping at the bit i had a flight Kristy. i don't know if i ever told you that a couple years ago before I, I decided to go to japan but i had a flight to australia and I, I canceled that when i went to japan instead so i'm kicking myself a little bit but like i said Hopefully, one day soon we'll be able to get down there. But, Coach, you talk a lot about games on television, and I know you've been a part of a lot of really great games. So, if you would take us through one or a couple of those great games throughout your career as a coach,
2: can I do one as a player as coach, well as one as a coach? No,
0: absolutely, Coach. Absolutely.
2: I think I think the greatest weekend for me as a player was the weekend when we played uh, USC and UCLA um in 1980 that was probably one of the most amazing weekends because donald collins who was the number one draft choice of the atlanta hawks just went crazy that weekend 30 30 and 36 he had 36 against ucla and uh that game that weekend our stadium at washington and just the whole weekend we had people camping outside for tickets and the student The student body was amazing, but our gym was just packed. And it was just, and it was just an amazing day. We were the game of the week um, on NBC because, and we played at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I tell you what, that atmosphere in that gym, that was the loudest game I think I've ever been a part of as a player, coach, anything. It was just spectacular. And, And to win those two games, which you don't sweep, you don't get those sweeps against them, whether you're at home or on the road, it doesn't matter. You don't get to beat USC and UCLA back in our day too often. And that weekend was just a very, very special weekend. And Coach Ravling and Coach McGlesey and Coach Edwards just had us just so prepared for that weekend. And it we just played so well. And it was just amazing to actually be a part of something like that. Coming down the tunnel, it was just a roar And it didn't stop for the 40 minutes. It was just really, really intense, really loud. Um, And just to be a part of something like that as a college athlete, that was the reason why I chose Washington State, was to beat those two teams. Um, Growing up, you'd watch them on late at night, 1130, the Pac-8 game of the week when I lived in Denver. And I always wanted to beat UCLA and USC and play against those teams. And that weekend was just so special. In terms of coaching, I – was fortunate enough to actually go to high school in Casper. And um, I left Denver to go live with my father and he passed away when I was 14. And my mother decided to keep me in Casper. And I think that was the best decision for me as a person. And I tell the kids in my life that things happen for a reason. And that day that my father passed away was actually one of the worst day of my life. But it also was probably the best day of my life because of what happened after and being able to stay in Casper and graduate there and play there and, and be a, a member of the Mustang clan and and meet a man called Jerry Dalton, who's still very special to me now, um, was just really, really special. But I also got to um, be an assistant coach at Casper College from 89, 90, 91. Uh, my current wife actually played on that team. Um, and then um, that started a connection of sending Kiwi ladies to Casper college. And we've sent over there probably about 20 to 25 Kiwi ladies that have played at Casper college there. And then coach Becker asked me to come back in 2000 and I became the head coach in 2003. So my first year taking over the team, it was still Gary's team. It wasn't my athletes. It was still some of his and some of mine. And I finished third uh, in the region. And at Casper College, you don't finish third in the region. You can finish second or you can finish first, but you cannot finish third. They just do not like that one. Um, And so the next three years, I spent playing Western Nebraska Community College in the championship game. Uh, Once at their place, uh, once in Norfolk, Virginia, with seven players. Once, uh, I can't even remember, the maybe down in Otero. I lost that championship game three times in a row, three years in a row. The fourth year, we finally got to host the regional championship in Casper. And I had a group of, of sophomores, six of them, that just, all they want to do was get to that championship game. And that game there was one of the most memorable games I've ever been a part of, not only because of, it was against Western Nebraska again and Dave Harnish, um, but the fact that it was our rivalry, and it's still the rivalry today, Casper College in West Nebraska and Region 9 for women's basketball. But that weekend, um, I had a young lady by the name of Tanner Stewart from up in Montana, Native American young lady. And in the semifinals, she got her feet taken out from underneath her, and instead of falling backwards, she fell forwards on her head. Uh, We had to stop the game for 15 or 20 minutes and um, we had to get the ambulance in. She had to go to the hospital. We had to go through all of the protocols and everything. But back then we didn't have them like today. And the next day um, I remember warming, the girls warming up and we're playing Western Nebraska. And I look out and I don't see my little Tana. I don't see Tana anywhere. And, and I, I knock on the locker room door and She's just sitting on the, on the chair. She'd been cleared to play and she's just sitting there in her, she's got her Lycra top on and her Lycra shorts on and, and, and that's it. And I said to her, Tana, what's up? She says, coach, I'm a, i am I need some help getting dressed. (laughs) And I have never, ever met a more determined young lady, but I had to help this girl put on her uniform and tie her shoes, put her socks on. That girl went out and made four three-pointers, shut down their number one scorer, and, and we won the regional title to go to nationals. And to this day, Tana does not remember the game at all. If you talk to her at all, she does not remember playing in that game. That shows you the type of people that, when we decide to do something as humans, we're so capable of just so much more. And, and to that day, that game for me as a coach um, was just, it's just spectacular. And coach Harness came up to me and he told me after the game, I've told you for four years that eventually you'd win one. You just have to keep getting to this game. And, And for him to say that to me, and he was so proud of me actually winning the region. It was just really cool because I've known coach Harness since 89, 90, 91. And um, for him to say that to me was really special. The celebrations after the game was special because you spend a whole year or two years in some case with these young ladies. And the amount of work that these kids put in to play for you. And I'm not an easy coach. Um, I played for George. So I'm a lot like George. I'm not easy. And. The sacrifices that they make on and off the court with their lives. Um, I had four internationals, three internationals. Um, it's just it's just amazing. and And you can never, ever give back to them as much as they've given to you as a coach. And that's the part that is really hard for us to understand as coaches. But when you look back at it, back on it years later and years later, I've got, they're all married. They've got kids. I just went down to see one who lives in New Zealand now uh, just three or four months ago and meet her two little kids and her husband. And just to see them grow as people um, and keep in touch with them is just so special as, as a coach and having those lifelong, um, I don't I'm I'm trying struggling to find the right word you know you've changed their lives as a coach and and that for me is probably more important than actually the wins and the losses is actually watching them grow as as human beings and and see how successful they've come become as young ladies and young women now
1: so brian clip that holy yeah, crap. Clip yeah. that! wow so
0: yeah so i want to i want to start there coach when did you realize the impact that you were having on these kids that you were coaching because if you're anything like me it got into it like i'm gonna win games I'm gonna win championships and all this da, 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 da. and then then you realize like oh it's it's bigger than that it's more than that when did that flip happen for you all the while I was trying to win games and win championships and everything like that
2: but when did you realize that probably about three or four years ago you know when you're in the middle of it and you when i retired from coaching when you're in the middle of all this and you spend this long time of, of doing this profession as a player and as, as a coach, I tell the kids here at school, and, and I've told my players this a thousand times, when you're standing amongst the trees, you actually don't see the forest. You have to step back and be away and, and get up on top of the hill and look down, and then you see this massive forest. I don't think i really ever understood the impact until I actually quit coaching because I was too busy coaching a team. Um, And then, you know, we have a saying for Casper College, once a T-bird, always a T-bird. If I put that up, if I put a Facebook post up there and I just say, I love you, once a T-bird, always a T-bird, I'll get back 100, 200, 300, 400. All the T-birds will will reach out to me. Um, And that's really, really important. I don't think I understood the impact that I had here in New Zealand until I made it into the top 40. I mean, what a humbling experience that was. I cried the morning that came out with my wife. I get emotional now. You don't realize the impact you're having on people's lives when you're in the middle of the battle until years down the track. And they actually tell you because a lot of the times you don't have time for them to tell you, and I don't think when we're players, we understand the impact that someone is having on our lives, even when we're a player. I did not understand Coach Ravley. I thought the man was nuts. Half the time, I didn't get him. I didn't understand. Why is the on our so much about all this other stuff? Not the basketball stuff, the other stuff. Dress for success, we had to read that book. He made me cut my hair, he made me shave. He made me be on time. He made me dress appropriately. He made me get studies. He made me do all this other stuff that I just, I didn't get it while I was in the middle of it. Now I'm never late. Now I dress for success. Now I'm, I, I, I gotta trim my beard all the time because I wanna look nice. Um, all these things, my high school coach, the same thing. If you think you can, you can, if you think you can't, you won't. If you say you can, but think you can, it's almost a sense. You won't ravelings. If it is to be, it's up to me. These things are in our heads and they don't go away. They're, they're there all the time. And it's just really amazing as a coach to hear someone say, thank you. That's all we want. Eh? Thank you. Those two little words. But while you're in the middle of it, you're saying all kinds of other things you shouldn't be saying as a player or a coach. (laughs) So it's taken a while to actually sit back and look at my career. I've been very, very fortunate. I'm a scrapbooker. So I have my entire career in paper, Spanish, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, Washington State, my high school. I've got everything. I've been trying to write a book, but I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of it. So I keep starting and stopping. <laughs> well, but it's it's really tough because I don't think we understand it until you are able to step back and reflect. And reflection's a great thing. It's a it's a, it's a a wonderful thing to reflect.
1: Coach, uh, the last 10 minutes of this podcast has just been, fun. the first 10 or 15 minutes is great too, but the last 10 minutes, everything you've said has just been tremendous. I think my biggest takeaway right now is still the thing you said. Uh, where We think of our impact that we have on the players. But what you talked about from that team at Casper was the effect that those
2: young ladies have had on your life. I mean, that's powerful stuff right there. As a coach, I've always felt Coach Raveling told me this and Coach Becker and my high school coach told me this. They all said the same thing. The day as a coach when you can actually sit there and enjoy the game and you don't have to coach, you don't have to coach, is the day that you know you have a great team because they're going to do everything you've taught them and you just now get to sit back and enjoy it. We don't get too many teams like that as a coach or be on a team like that as a player where, where the players are more accountable to the game than you as the coach. And that team in 2007, I remember a timeout and I wanted to put in my shooter. And the captain of the team went up and said, what in the bleeping are you doing? Leave Tana in the game. Leah, go back and sit down. My captain did that to her teammate. And Leah said, she's right, coach. Tana's out there Ding up their best player. I can't guard her. I need to go back and sit down. When we need a shot, you put me in, but right now let Tana go. That is what you want as a coach, that accountability to make tough decisions. And that showed me at that particular moment that I knew we were going to win that game. I just, I just knew we weren't going to lose. But we don't get that too often as a coach. A team like that?
1: No, we don't, coach. And uh, that theme, Brian that that really keeps resonating. That theme, am I right? We've we've had so many people on these episodes talk about whatever game they've talked about. That it's usually that special team that those kids take ownership, and those kids almost coached themselves. We've told the stories here. I walked into a locker room one time and my point guard looked at me and said, get the bleep out of here. We're not losing this game. And I said, all right, you're good. Ready to go. Here we go. That was my best halftime speech I ever gave. I just left. (laughs) Yep. yep. Because those kids took ownership of it. Uh, So you mentioned some of the sayings, your high school coach, Coach Raveling. We have a guy we worked for, Coach Rick Duckett, who has all these great sayings. So if I asked the T-Birds, or some people that have played for you, what would be that one phrase or saying that they quote Coach Angelo
2: Hill that you say all know. the time? Oh, I would have to – I honestly, I really don't know. I honestly do not know. I was just – I wasn't – I don't think I was as good a coach then as I am now. I was just too, too caught up in the winning because that program, if you were to look at Region 9 – and you went back to 89 to the present, you would see Casper College or West Nebraska in the championship game 99% of the time. (laughs) That's no joke. Um, That job at Casper, and I didn't know it at the time, is probably a top-10 job for the women's program. Um, We've had tremendous success there. Since 1989-90, there's only been three coaches coach Becker won over 400 games. Um, I was one of the quickest to get to the hundred. And then I decided to bring my wife back to New Zealand and come back here. Um, coach Gennary has been there since I left and he was at Miles city. So coach ganeri has been the head coach there since 2008. And he has had tremendous success. He's won over 300 games, I think. So I think our biggest saying for Casper College, not just me, but I think for everybody is once a T-Bird, always a T-Bird. I, I really feel that that's, that would be the saying because it's not just, it's not just the school. It's not just the, it's the town, it's the community. Casper College women's basketball has been very, very successful for a long period of time, and we're a family. And it doesn't matter whether um, someone's from Spain or Europe or whatever. I just sent another key. There's a Kiwi girl on there right now. Dijon is over there right now. Um, but it's just that family atmosphere. So I would have to say that. Um, probably the the other one I would think about is that you're not blankety blank tired. <laughs> because. That's, that's pretty simple. <laughs> I. I would always, I'm, I'm, I'm one on fitness and that as an athlete, I was that way as well. I'm, I'm a fitness nut. And I always felt that the fitter you were, um, the more you're not going to make mistakes. So we ran a lot. We, all of my drills, all of my practices, incorporated a lot of running, not in terms of just running, running, but drills where we were always running and active. So layup drills and transition drills, running, 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 running pre-season conditioning for me is a nightmare at Casper college. And we were at altitude. So when you're bringing kids from low altitude to Casper college, I had to be careful of altitude sickness, but we ran a lot. Um, those girls Ran 32 200s by the time we were done with our 200s. Or we had an NBA program uh, conditioning the NBA way, which is um, 400s, 200s. We'd use a track. One year we'd use the track. Another year we'd use um, the fields. Uh, We did a lot of long distance running. Um, So I used to tell them that they don't tell me you're tired because you're not tired. Tiredness is mental tiredness is not physical. you can sprint another sprint you can you can dive on the floor for that ball. you can you can do a little bit extra you can get to 50 50 balls and we know as coaches that those little effort plays where where you are tired are really really huge in a ball game. They're just they can lift the team taking a charge, getting in the right spot, moving your feet. Um, so I always used to tell them that they' they weren't tired. don't tell me you're tired that would probably be one that they would remember.
0: I love that one so much. And I I fell into coaching cross country uh, while coaching basketball here at, in in South Carolina. And those kids taught me that like, they're not really tired They go out run eight or nine miles, and come back. And say, what's next coach, what's next. And so, yeah. yeah, just that, that your body is so much more capable of something more capable of so much more than your mind's telling you. And so coach, this has been awesome. Well, I will tell you, I want you to write the book cause I'll read your book. Uh, cause it's fascinating listening to you talk and it's just been a real pleasure to, to have you on. And, and we can't wait for T-Bird nation to, to listen to this. And it's funny, I'm just doing some quick Googling, Googling, learn so much about the world. T-Birds.cc is the website, so They fully embrace the T-Birds deal. So, but yep. coach, this has been a, an absolute blast. We can't thank you enough for coming on the show with us tonight.
2: Well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor and a privilege. Um, I don't get to do stuff like this too often. So a simple like, look what happened. A simple like on a coaching page. And this My is all Facebook post. Brian asked me, yeah. where did you
1: find this guy? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, you know, the, the basketball, it's a passion for us. And it's like with any sport. I mean, anybody that's passionate about their sport is just, that's just the way we are. It just becomes you know, more important than anything else. And I've been very fortunate of having a, a lovely wife who fell in love with the game as well. And so she's played, uh, she was the cap, going to be the captain for the Olympic team when New Zealand made it to the Olympics and her little sister and her were going to be on the team, but Michelle got dropped at the last minute. And to this day, she doesn't like that coach. But um, so I've been very fortunate to have a lovely lady in my life that um, allowed me to travel back and forth from America a couple times. Um, she's allowed me to allow both of our children to um, go to America. My oldest boy left home when he was 16 to go to the States. Um, and he went back to Casper to live with Coach Becker. And then he received a um, golf scholarship to the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. And Corbin today still lives in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And through his education, Um, He's now a biochemist, but he fell in love with golf. He didn't like the team thing. He liked being by himself. Um, And then little old Nico, um, he just fell in love with basketball. And um, he's doing extremely well. And it's been tough on him the last couple of years. Um, He's lost his grandmother a year ago, which was, well, not even a year yet. Um, My mother passed away in June. So he hasn't even been able to have closure with that. So he's coming home to try and have closure with that. and But, you know, when you fall in love with a sport, it doesn't matter what sport it is, it will change your life if you allow it to. And the people you're going to meet along the way are going to leave footprints in your heart forever. And they're never going to go away. They're they're just there. Um, And that's what I probably... I'm really lucky. I've got a lot of my Washington State friends still here in New Zealand, so I get to see them often, and we get to chat about the old times. Um, I've just been blessed. Um, like I said, one day changed my life forever, and meeting one man and then meeting another man, Jerry Dalton and, and Casper and George Ravling in Washington State and then Coach Gary Becker and Casper College. Meeting those three people not only changed my life, but it allowed me to change other people's lives. And I think that's what's so special about my career is, is I know I've had an impact on people's lives beyond basketball. And, and I think that's something that I know will never, ever be taken away from me, no matter what happens. And I think that's what's really special about a, a sporting career. Um, you know, I see little Stephen over there in the in the United States all the time on telly and when he comes home and I catch up with him, man, he's still the same old Kiwi boy who wants to just have a Kiwi pie and go out and shoot and hunt and run around in the swan dries and and uh he can't hit a golf ball to save his soul though. <laughs> I had the caddy for him at that turn at his golf tournament. And no, he's not a golfer. Wow. But gentlemen, I really do appreciate it and um thank you for having me on. And if you ever get the opportunity to come to New Zealand. Your house, my house, Sukasa Mikasa. Wow. Mikasa Sukasa. You'd be more than welcome to come to my little old town and uh, hang out, and I'll show you around New Zealand.
0: that that sounds good to us and and i'll speak for chris you're welcome with us anytime either new jersey south carolina and uh like i said this has been a real pleasure and i know you're continuing to make impacts on kids over there in new zealand and uh we'll catch up with you soon but we'll go ahead and wrap this one up for my co-host chris de blasio i'm brian rosefield and thank you for listening to this episode of the greatest games